0: Joe Biden's proposed budget makes every president before him seem like a cheapskate pro-taxpayer kind of guy. Hey, welcome to the Press Club C podcast. I'm Ray Keating. In this 51st episode, we're going to talk about President Joe Biden's historic spending binge, or at least his proposed historic spending binge e- easy for me to say but before getting into this let's quickly answer that key question once more what the heck is the press club c each letter stands for stuff we talk about in these episodes uh, p is for politics r is for religion mainly christianity e is for economics s is for sports that's second s is for stories books and writing my own books other books fiction nonfiction, reviews so on uh, c is for culture pop culture and otherwise L L is for life, the big catch-all. U is for understanding, lessons in history, economics, and so on. B is for business and entrepreneurship. And that final C in the Press Club C is for conservative. Why? Because I am one. And given everything going on these days, in particular, I'm a Reagan, Kemp, Buckley, Coolidge, Lincoln, Madisonian kind of conservative. Now, before we get to President Biden's budget, just so you know, I'm, I'm working in a makeshift studio today because we're uh, I'm on the run. I'm not, I'm not on the lamb. I'm on the run. Um, and uh, I believe you would call this studio a kitchen. So, And um, my friends here on the podcast with me are two dogs. So if you hear noises, that's what's going on. Um, so let's get to Biden's uh, proposed budget, in particular this on the spending front. Now, I wrote an analysis of this recently. Um, And I think it's worth hitting on some of the key points uh, here on the podcast. So, I mean, right out of the box, Biden would push federal spending to levels for an extended period of time. Now that's a key point, an extended period of time uh, because there have been, you know, instances here and there Uh, but an extended period of time that has not been experienced before in U S history. And if this is implemented, if Congress goes along, um, I would argue putting on my economist hat, of course, that this would be a significant negative in terms of economic income and job growth. Now budgets, of course, should be examined in a, a variety of ways. Um, um, they should be evaluated, discussed and debated agency by agency, program by program, uh, quite frankly, line by line, all sorts of questions need to be asked. <clears throat> um, you know, is this something that federal government should be doing in the first place? Is this how they should be doing it? Um, is this an appropriate level of spending? Uh, how effective is the program, right? Uh, is it imperative What kind of incentives is a program setting up perhaps creating perverse incentives? Um, hold on a second. I'm going to take a little sip from my, my Starbucks star Wars cup. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's imperative to look at budgets in that way, but it's also imperative to look at the total level of federal spending. And, uh, from an economics perspective, that's kind of like economics perspective. That's kind of like the bottom line budget number. And it's quite important Um, when you're evaluating the impact of government spending and therefore taxes and debt and so on on the economy and growth. There's a series of issues that need to be considered, you know, kind of like a hierarchy. So number one is the, the overall level of spending that matters because it's the total amount of resources Uh, Being diverted, taken, or drained, I like drained, from the private sector, whether via taxes or borrowing, uh, in order to be spent by government. Now, um, despite what uh, John Maynard Keynes and his disciples proclaimed and proclaimed, draining resources from the private sector and handing them over to a bunch of politicians is not a good idea. It's a net negative for the economy. Um, and that's because of the vast differences in the incentives guiding uh, how resources are allocated, how they're spent in the private sector compared to the public sector. You know, a quick review. I, I, um, in a private sector, resource allocation is guided, it's disciplined by what? Private ownership, profits, losses, prices. And ultimately consumer sovereignty, right? Consumers call the shots in the end, um, entrepreneurs and businesses and investors and workers must produce, um, goods and services that are needed or desired by others. Um, or they need to create demands. Um, and they are incentivized to do so to boot and to boost innovation, efficiency and service. Um, serving others well in the private sector is rewarded with profits and failure is punished right with, and and if you're, you know, if you're suffering losses and you're unable to write the ship, um, it eventually means that the doors are going to be closed. The business is going to fail and resources will then be reallocated elsewhere. Now compare that to government, right? Government under operates under a very different set of incentives. There are no, Owners, right, um, and elected officials and their appointees are spending other people's money. That's uh, that's a recipe for waste. Um, and then you've got, you know, obviously governmental endeavors are guided by um, by political preferences, by special interest pressures, uh, and so on. That's quite different from the disciplines of a competitive marketplace. And more often than not, what happens when something in the pu- public sector fails? When government fails at something, what happens? It, nobody's punished. Instead, they're rewarded, right? They're rewarded with, uh, with bigger budgets and more staff, right? Uh, I've used this example before, but um, what happens when a public school falters when it fails? He gets more money and gets more people. Um, that's not unique to education. That's what happens in all most areas of government. Um, So these are the basic reasons why government is grossly inefficient, wasteful, and so on. um, And why shifting resources away from private sector enterprises to the government is an economic negative. Um, Now, the overall level, uh, you know, after the overall level of government spending. So when we look at that top line. Then, you know, other issues, very important, come into play. Um, other factors related to the federal budget that impact the economy, including, you know, ha- the mix of taxes versus debt to fund spending, the level and types of taxes and imp- imposed. You know, our last episode was about taxes. Um, this is a natural follow-up. Uh, we looked at Biden's tax increases. Now we're looking at his spending. Um, so what what are the incentive effects uh, of these taxes on the, on uh, individuals and entrepreneurs and businesses, and investors and so on. And then there are also the incentives created, as I mentioned before, by assorted spending programs. Now, so, all right, that's a quick rundown on the basics here, but let's focus on Biden budget and total federal spending or outlays. Now, Quick background, Um, before the pandemic hit, federal outlays were accelerating during uh, the Trump years. So, for example, in in, uh, fiscal year 2017 and then fiscal year 2018, uh, federal outlays increased by 3.3% and 3.2% respectively. Not too bad. Then it jumped, (laughs) spending in in 2019, uh, jumped by 8.2%. wow. Um, and that was before any of the pandemic stuff. And then we hit, we get hit with the pandemic. Federal ex- spending exploded. Total outlays jumped by a mind-blowing 47.3%. 47.3% in 2020. And the estimate for the current fiscal year, 2021, which closes out at the end of September, is for another uh, increase of 10.7%. Wow. Now, I'm not going to – this is not the episode to get into what makes sense, what didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not I'm not going to touch that. It's just the reality that that's how much spending rose. But there's a pattern here as well. When, when you look at past crises, if you will, um, politicians react by spending a great deal more, right, usually for a brief period, and then spending subsequently – Um, is reduced or restrained um, with the level of outlays getting back to something closer to where it was before the crisis. Now, at the same time, unfortunately, there is a risk and there is a historic precedent for government spending after a crisis has passed to persist at a higher level than where it was pre-crisis, if you're following me here. So the, the, this, this is most clearly laid out when you look at federal outlays, federal spending as a share of the economy, as a share of GDP. So let's look at World War II, for example. Before World War II, um, federal spending as a share of GDP, federal spending, uh, generally came in at less than 10%. Now, Obviously, during World War II, spending jumped dramatically. It hit a a peak of 42.7% of GDP in 1944. Um, And then we had a breather where the Korean War came along. Um, Eventually, after these two wars, uh, federal spending settled back down to run in the range of roughly 16% to 18% of GDP. So notice, that's much, much higher than the, um, the pre-World War II level. Um, and also talk about another crisis, um, you know, before the Great Depression hit, and I won't get into the causes of that. I'll have to check if I've talked about this before, but I'll have to check if I did it on this podcast or on another, probably on the Free Enterprise in Three Minutes podcast. Go over and check that out. Great Depression. Um, anyway, uh, You know, before the Great Depression, federal spending was like 3% of GDP. So you get the point, right, Um, about crises and what happens afterwards. So anyway, after World War II and the Korean War, uh, spending came back down, but not nearly uh, to the level where it was before World War II. Stayed in this range of 16%, 18% until it stepped up again, uh, like in the late 1960s with uh, Lyndon Johnson and his Great Society programs. Um, throw into Vietnam War as well. Now, another example, 2008-2009. We got hit with the economic credit uh, crisis mess, right? Federal outlays, of course, politicians respond by let's spend. Federal outlays jumped uh, from a, a range over the previous decade. It, it was in a range of 17.7% to, to like 19%. And then it it jumped to 24.4% of GDP in 2009. And I don't know throwing a lot of numbers at you here, but there's a reason for this, right? So big jump up after the crisis um, and related spending kind of calmed down. Uh, federal outlays settled into a range of 20.2 to 21% of GDP. Now, again, that was higher than where it stood before the 08-09 crisis. Okay? So you're seeing the pattern here. And with the pandemic, federal outlay has jumped from 21% of GDP in twenty one uh, in 2019 to 31.2% in 2020. And it's expected to hit 32.9%, one-third of GDP in 2021. Now, so what is President Biden Proposing. He would have this level of outlays decline to 25.6% in 2022. So we see it come back down. And then subsequently come down a little bit more to roughly 24.5% for the following four years. Now, again, take note 24.5% is much higher. than the pre-pandemic level of 21%. And this is where Biden envisions spending settling in at, okay? Um, in terms of pure numbers, federal outlays uh, already stood at a lofty $4.4 trillion in 2019. Uh, it would re- They would register $6 trillion in 2022 and climb to $6.7 trillion by 2026 so you know i i, I want to drive home this point so when you look at these numbers that means the the proposed biden budget and again congress has to go along right congress has the purse strings but if they went along federal spending would be pushed up again on a sustained basis to a level never never experienced in the us before now, i'm not again During wars and so on, they spiked up even higher, but they came back down. But now we see Biden's proposal post-pandemic settling in for, uh, you know, the foreseeable future at a much, much higher level of federal spending. Never experienced before in U.S. history. So if this is implemented, uh, if this spending plan goes into effect, um, you know, I would argue that, you know, Biden would make... Uh, every previous U.S. president and Congress seem downright parsimonious, um, and I laugh, but it's a dark, you know, dark humor type thing. Um, so, if uh, you know, listen. If if you mistakenly think, uh, and I noted this in in the piece that I wrote, if you mistakenly think that federal spending is good for the economy, then this is great, right? Woohoo! Fantastic. Uh, if you believe. Um, that would be a mistake, by the way. Basic economics would tell us that's a mistake. Or if you believe that um, government spending doesn't really matter, um, then you can shrug your shoulders and move on to other other matters, right? Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. That, again, would be mistaken. Um, but, you know, the point if you understand the actual economics of government spending, which I only touched on briefly here earlier, um, then this Biden spending plan is of grave concern. I mean, this is anti growth in all capital letters. Um, uh, And it's made worse by the, the Biden's, uh, you know, accompanying tax proposals that we went into in the last issue. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an ugly thing because, you know, COVID-19, the the COVID-19 pandemic took a brutal toll on, People here and around the world lost lives, economic devastation, small businesses, millions of small businesses lost, millions of jobs lost. And it's, I hate to say it, but it's, President Biden is, seems to be using this as an opportunity to expand the size of government. Um, Maybe he thinks that that's a good thing. That's going to be great. But, In reality, it's just going to bring about more economic suffering. If we want to see a strong, robust recovery and subsequent economic expansion, then pretty much the entire Biden economic agenda is dead wrong in terms of, uh, you know, last episode we talked about tax increases. Maybe we'll get into his regulatory measures in a future episode. Uh, And then this massive spending binge. Um, That all points to slow, restrained, underperforming economic growth. That means slow income growth. That means slow employment growth. Um, So this is not the direction we should be going in. Hopefully, you know, know, members on uh, Naive Ray, economist Ray, who thinks that you know, still slips up and things that maybe some politicians think like an economist, um, they should treat this Biden budget. If they do think that way in any way, shape or form, they, this Biden budget should be dead on arrival. Right. Um, and, and policymaking needs to go in a very, very, very different direction that actually encourages um, or lays the groundwork. I should say for strong, for strong economic recovery and strong, economic growth. That's the recipe here is not a mystery folks. Um, as much as politicians like to, to, you know, make it seem like, uh, there's a great debate and, you know, they can always find their favorite economists to dispute basic economics. But, uh, when you look at it, the agenda, what we need is clear. We need, you know, tax and regulatory relief. That's substantial and permanent. We need to uh, reduce governmental barriers to trade, something that the last president, Trump, didn't understand in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not sure that Joe Biden understands it. Uh, Apparently, he hasn't done anything to shift uh, trade so far in a more positive direction. And we need to rein in the size of government, not vastly expand it the way President Biden is proposing. So, um, yeah, this is a downer episode. Um, hopefully Congress will, uh, will just treat this as a, you know, a document, uh, the, but, you know, treat the Biden budget as a document that, um, should just simply be tossed aside. Maybe use as a paperweight. Um, <laughs> if you printed it out anyway, <laughs> boy, is that show how old I am? All right. Listen, folks, thanks so much for listening. Your feedback and suggestions are always welcome. Uh, please check out my various endeavors and books, um, including uh, some columns over at KeatingFiles.com. Oh, by the way, let me stop in the middle of this. Everything I say on this podcast, my other podcasts, what I write are, are solely my opinions. I would never want to inflict my views on anyone else. So understand that. All this stuff that I spout off is just Ray's views, not anybody else's. Anyway, uh, Also, you check out Free Enterprise in Three Minutes, the podcast. Um, Also, a couple of recent nonfiction books, Behind Enemy Lines, a collection of um, essays by me. Um, Also, Free Trade Rocks. Uh, Check out those two books. You can get them at Amazon.com and paperback or on the Kindle. Or you can get signed books. That's right. Signed by little old B over at RayKeatingOnline.com. And then there are the fiction books. I am up to 15, count of 15, Pastor Stephen Grant Thrillers and Mysteries. The latest one just came out. What's Lost? A Pastor Stephen Grant short story. Um, Again, please check them out. Read them. Buy them buy them for your friends and family. Uh, You could check them out over at Amazon.com, paperbacks and Kindle editions. By the way, do you know that you can, if you go, say you say, all right, I'm going to get somebody started in Pastor Stephen Grant novels first book warrior monk i go over there i look at the kindle page and you know what i can send it as a gift to someone else There's a little button there you just click on the button you you have their email address you send them a nice little note boom you send it off and they've got it and they are too are enjoying the pastor Stephen grant thrillers and mysteries also if you want them but if you want them signed rakeeatingonline.com and uh if you like stuff on the disney front Uh, Business, reviews, you know, everything under the Star Wars, Indiana Jones, princesses, you name it. Um, Go over and check out uh, DisneyBizJournal.com. Okay, that's enough of me. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, Thanks so much, and God bless.